Hello and good morning. Um, if Jesus, if Jesus is the only thing you have, then you have everything. The opposite is also true. If Jesus is not the only thing you have, well, then you have nothing. In 2010, I had finished Bible college and uh, I, I had moved out of dorm and I had moved into an apartment with, my, uh, with a friend of mine. And so uh, we were uh, kind of enjoying that time kind of being out of dorm and so on, but it was a new era for me. It was, I was stepping into a, a, a new normal uh, because now there was opportunities for ministry um, on the horizon. Uh, I had actually just met the, the love of my life. Uh, we just started dating, uh, Deanna and I, um, had just started, uh, kind of started our relationship at that point as well. And so I knew this was a girl I wanted to marry. And, and so there was all these things that were just kind of happening um, all at once for me. And on the surface, you know, it really looked like Christ was in my life. I, I mean, everything, in every sense, it, it did. Like, I mean, now I was actually even looking at going into seminary too. So it's like, well, Christ better be your life if you're going to fork out money to go to a seminary. Uh, and, and so it, all those things were kind of lining up in order. And I remember this one morning, I was sitting in the apartment by myself. Uh, a roommate had gone to work, and, and I was sitting there having some breakfast, having my uh, Lucky Charms, uh, or Cinnamon Toast Crunch, either, either or. Can't remember exactly which one it was. But anyway, so I'm sitting there, I'm having my breakfast, and I got the Bible open, and I'm doing my religious duty. And... I was going through the Gospels, and this was one of the first times when I've actually gone to the Gospels, and I was emotionally affected by what I read. I was looking at John chapter 6, and uh, last time I had an opportunity to speak to you guys, I looked at John chapter 6, and so uh, we're going to continue on looking at that chapter together, but, but this one part of chapter 6, the end of it, it, it really just caught my attention, and I remember I was reading it. And in this part, Jesus is talking to his disciples now. Uh, the chapter started off with him talking to a crowd, a, a mob of people. Then he was kind of addressing the Jewish leaders. And then all of a sudden, he is now addressing the disciples. And now he's particularly addressing the 12. And he makes this comment to them. He says, um, he says to them, uh, have I offended you? Are you offended by me? even goes on to say so much so that, do you, do you want to go away as well? And, he, and, and he's saying, are you offended by me because of the things that he said previously? He said, you have to eat my flesh. You have to drink my blood uh, in order to have life in you, in order, in order to be secure, uh, in order uh, to be a true follower of God. And so the crowd was offended. People were offended, but he, he turned to his disciples, those who were closest to him, those who traveled with him, and he asked, are you offended by this? Do I offend you? Do you want to go away as well? You know, we always talk about scriptures, about how, um, you know, the Holy Spirit illuminates scriptures to us. And this was one of the few moments in my life where I actually went to the scriptures and I felt like I was illuminated. Uh, I felt like the Holy Spirit put the spotlight on me and what was going on in my own heart. And um, I felt exposed. I felt like now it's time for me to take a deep look inside my own heart and answer that question as though Jesus was asking me, Robin, are you offended by me? Do you want to go away as well? You know, I love Peter's response to this later on um, to, to Jesus. And Peter says, well, who else would we go to? Uh, you said it yourself, you are the... Your words are eternal life, right? And, and I had the exact same response. Jesus, look at my life. Look at everything I've put into order. How can you ask me that? How, where else am I going to go? I've given everything now to you. But you have to realize that at the same time as everything was in order in my life, it was in order and it was in place, but Jesus wasn't my life. What was actually in my life was people's approval. What was actually in my life at the time was doing anything I could to avoid failure. If I had a, a banner or a placard 
over my head, uh, like a whiteboard placard, and there was, there was a, a line like this with co uh, quotations here, and then, and then there was the word is, and then life. What was in the blank was doing anything in my ability to avoid failure, even quitting, even running away from something because I was afraid of failing. My life was, was wrapped up in, in having success and appearing successful. So when I went to that scripture, Jesus asked me something that was so deeply personal. Robin, you have everything in order. You, have, you, you want to go off and do ministry and do all these things, but am I your life? Are you going to me as your source for life? Am I your identity? You know, it, it was painful to go through, but I, I, you know, it, it bears the opportunity for me to even ask the question of you. Have you ever been offended by Jesus? And you're all good Christians and would say, no, I've never been offended by Jesus. There's no way, shape, or form I would ever be offended by him. But the truth is that Jesus in this scripture was being absolutely offensive because he was demonstrating to the people who were listening that if anything is your life other than me, it's fake and it's counterfeit. Anything you are holding on to as a source of your confidence, of your strength, of your assurance for things going well in your life, anything that you are holding on to that is not me, it is fake and it's counterfeit. I am true life. I am real life. And so maybe we need to ask ourselves that question again. Have you ever been offended by Jesus? Are there things that you need Jesus to accomplish for you so that he can be enough? Are there things in your life that he, that he needs to, to, uh, to fix so that he could actually be enough? Uh, do you have sickness in your body? Is there, do you have financial concerns? Uh, are, you, are you concerned about family members who are following Jesus or not? Are you concerned about family members who are sick or are not well? And you're offended by Jesus because you have expectations about how he should handle the situation, but he's not rising up to the occasion. Jesus, everything would be okay in my life if you solved blank. Then my life would be okay. Then I could endure this. Whatever that blank is life, whatever that is, if it's not Jesus, it's fake and it's counterfeit. So Jesus, so, so Jesus is asking us that question again. Are you offended by me? Have you been offended by the fact that I am life, that not your circumstances, not everything going okay is life? And we want to look deeply into this passage. And, and again, like I said before, we, we kind of already looked at the first part of it the last time I spoke, but we're going to look at the end of this chapter. And uh, we're going to be looking at John chapter 6, verses uh, 52 to 57, um, so 52 uh, rather to 71. And we're going to be looking at the English Standard Version. And what I want to read right now is just what I think is the anchor of this, this passage. This is the reason why there were disciples that were with Jesus in this passage who actually walked away from him. This is what the disciples would have taken offense to. It was this. It's John chapter 6, verses 55 to 57. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. You see, if Jesus is the only thing you have, then you actually have everything. But what, the opposite is also true. If Jesus is not the only thing that you have or that you need, well, then you actually have nothing. And so we're going to be looking at this verse together, but it's not enough for me to share. We're going to be talking about a whole bunch of stuff, but it's not enough for me to share. I, I want to pray right now that just like Jesus says later on in this chapter, I want to pray that the Father reveals the truth to you and that two things happen. I desire that if you are not offended by Jesus being your life, 
Jesus being life itself. If you are not offended by that, that maybe hopefully you will be. Maybe this will expose something that you're holding on to that is not actually life. But the second thing I want to pray for, I really want to see come out of this time together, is that if you are already offended by Jesus, seems weird to say, right? But if you're already offended by Jesus, then I pray that he will reveal himself to be faithful to you in your struggle, in your moment of faithlessness. My prayer is that he would reveal himself to you. And actually, if you, if you are offended by Jesus in this area, um, well, then that's actually quite a good thing because it's an opportunity for him to reveal himself to be all that you need. So let's just pray together before we jump in. Uh, so Jesus, it has to be you. Uh, it can't be me. Uh, I, I have a lot of, of thoughts about what your word says, but Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just illuminate each and every one of our hearts, the eyes of our hearts, so that we can see Jesus clearly. We can see his beauty uh, we can see his delight in us, too. I ask that in your most holy name. Amen. All right. So we're talking about life. So before I go any farther, I have to make sure that I explain the way the word life is used in the Greek New Testament. So the word life, the word life in the Greek New Testament is translated two ways. It's translated as the word zoe or the word bios. The word um, bios is where we get the word, uh, is where we, um, is basically a root word to which we get other words like biography, right? Um, we get the story of a life. And, and where we get biology, it's where we get those terms from. But the other word zoe, is, uh, zoe life, that's what I want to talk about. And zoe life is the term, is the versions, the description of life that Jesus uses in this passage. He doesn't use bios at all. He only uses zoe. And this is what zoe life is. Uh, zoe life is considered uh, to be life intensive. It's a kind of fancy way of saying it, it is what it is. It's God's life. It's divine life. It's, it's the life that, that hovered over the void in Genesis 1 brooding over the waters and motherly nurturing existence onto the earth. It's that life. It's divine life. It's the life that when God formed Adam out of the dust, he breathed life into that formation and it became life. And so this is, this is, this is the beginning, this is the essence of all existence. Uh, scriptures even says, you know, in Hebrews 1, uh, that God upholds the universe. He keeps it running by his rhema word, by, his po- by the power of his word. It says in Hebrews uh, chapter 1, verse 20. Uh, so we realize that, that this, is, this is the sustaining, all-powerful life. And um, Adam was connected to this life. The form that was created out of the dust that God breathed life into, he was intimately connected to God because God breathed his life into him. And so when we were created, we were designed to be dependent on God for this Zoe life. But something happened, we know. Sin came into the picture. And when sin came into the picture, death came into the picture. And the life that Adam had, it became independent of God, no longer dependent on God for finding life. Now, let's just describe this just a little bit more. Some commentaries say that this life, this Zoe life, it could be described as the highest blessedness. Uh, You can only say it like this. There's no other way to say highest blessedness. Basically, it's a way of saying it's the highest quality of life that you can have. So, so if someone doesn't have a quality of life, you'd say, well, they're lacking uh, security. They're not secure. Uh, they're lacking um, belonging. They're lacking um, uh, care. They're lacking a sense of worth. or sen- um, They're lacking acceptance. They're, they're lacking love. Zoe life is the highest quality of life. It's life gone super saiyan. Dragon Ball Z for anybody. Anyway, 
It's just out of this world quality of life. But sin and death comes into the picture and we become, humanity becomes, everyone who is in Adam, we become born with a spirit, an existence that is independent now of God. And so I want to throw up a slide here just to kind of show you kind of what that looks like. You see, Zoe life is this continuum. It's God's life. So it has no beginning and has no end. No beginning, no end. Just this ongoing life from God exists for all time. Sin comes into the picture and then life gets separated from that. Creation and existence gets separated from that through sin. And we get this bios life. And that's how it exists for that reason. And bios life is this. Bios life is life that it has a duration point. It has an expiration date. Uh, in a secondary sense, you know, bios is used in the Greek New Testament as a, a way by means life is sustained or or thirdly, the manner in which life is spent, or sort of the line of life, or a profession, or a, or a career. It's a kind of a way of describing how you would, how you would lose your life, uh, uh, or use your life. First uh, John chapter 2, verse 16 says, uh, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And so that pride of life, as is used in that chapter, that word life is translated bios. So we have to understand there's, there's two different explanations of this word. And, and sorry, it's very important for us to understand this before we jump into the rest of this chapter. Because there is a different experience that we have. And a bios life is pretty much this. A bios life is the resemblance of Zoe life, but not with the function. It's a resemblance of, but it doesn't have the function. You know, a smarter man than me, Gary, uh, his name is Gary Lane, you know, kind of explained it like this. You know, our BIOS life is like having a light bulb that's not plugged into its source. It's a light bulb and it's, it's wonderful to look at. Um, I, I mean, still, I don't know how a light bulb works and I, I know what you're saying. Just Google it, Robin, don't be lazy, just Google it. But like, honestly, I, I don't know. I don't know how it works. I'm looking at it, it's pretty creative, looks pretty nice. You know, Edison did a great job. But it's not plugged into its source. So, if it's not plugged into a source, then it just, this is kind of funny looking oblong object that we don't know what to do with. Uh, and something that's not actually plugged into its function is useless. But when it's plugged into an electrical source, then we see what it's made for. Then it lights up dark places. Then it's kind of hard to approach and it's kind of difficult to hold. And we, and, but, but we can see for itself what it's supposed to do. And it brings light to dark places and it helps people. And, and you see, that's, that's what bios life was. It's, it was the resemblance of life, but, but missing its total function. And some of us, we, we think of ourselves that way still. You know, we think of ourselves, we look at our bios life, our, you know, our existence here as human beings. You know, where we've become affected by sin. Um, and and our, our lives, our existence will eventually come to an end. And we say, well, maybe this is all there is. You know, some people say that. Or maybe even as believers, you might, you might feel that way. But if you, and if you're thinking that way, you would you think of yourself as, 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 as useless or, or worthless, right? Because that's how that light bulb was, unless it was plugged into its function. But we who are in Christ, the Zoe life lives and breathes inside of us. That was, that's what chapter uh, 6, verse, uh, verse 57 says. It says that the life of the Father is in Jesus, and now it's in us. So that eternal life, now let's go back to that slide here. We want to look at, at what, um, of, of what happens when a bios life gets combined with a zoe life. So our existence, our bios existence, now becomes part of what God's existence is. So we actually share, we partake in his life. And we understand that from Galatians 2.20. We died. We died with Christ, but now we are raised with him and, and he has become our life. And so we share in that same existence. There's no beginning. There's no end. Are we useless? Absolutely not. Are you worthless? Absolutely not. You are plugged into God's life. The life that, that, 
that God used to spring life, sorry, the, the life of God that, that brought all of creation uh, to existence is inside of you. The, the life that raised Jesus from the dead, the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is inside of you. You are not worthless in the least bit. Now, this is not to say that bios life is actually evil. I mean, it's not evil because creation, you know, still reveals its creator, you know, just like the light bulb, again, that's not plugged into its source. I mean, it's still a pretty interesting contraption uh, when you look at it, and it already reveals only the, the intellect of the, of the inventor. But it's not working in its function. And so that is not at all what we've been called to. In comparison, Zoe life is this. This is what we've been called to. This is what's living and existing within you. Um, as soon as it's ever felt and understood, it is the profoundest moral significance. This is, this is what Zoe life is. It's the profoundest moral significance. It becomes the fittest expression of very life. And it's in each and every one of us. So in this passage, this is what Jesus is calling us to. So let's read just quickly John chapter 6, verse, um, John chapter 6, verse 52 to 53. It goes like this. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? John chapter 6, verse 53 says, uh, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, for reals, I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. So let's just stop there for a second. Jesus is basically saying, if you don't take part in my death, if you don't take part in my death, then you will have no life in you. Now, this is very unfortunate for, for the people who are listening because Jesus is above time and space, and so he can talk about things about time and space, and that's what he's doing. He's addressing the new covenant to a bunch of people who are in the old covenant, and they're like, what? We, we don't get it. How, how can this possibly be? But we who are in the new covenant and those whom John was originally writing to who understand these, what Jesus accomplished, understand what he's saying here. If you don't take part in my death, then you won't have any life in you. Again, back to Galatians 2.20. If you didn't die with Jesus, if, you're, if your bios life uh, ex existence uh, wasn't submitted, wasn't dead and then raised to, to Zoe life existence, if, if that didn't happen, then you would have no life in you. Then you would be disconnected from God forever. And so it was one event. It was one death for all. So we died with him once, and now we've been raised to life with him. I love how Jesus says this, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, drink his blood, you have no life. And that verb eat, that verb eat is the verb um, estheo, and it, it's a completed version of eat. It's basically, it's, it's, it's a final process. It just happened. You, you eat, you, you take part uh, in Jesus' death and, re and resurrection, and that's it. That's all that was necessary for you to have a complete Zoe life in you. So no death of Jesus means that there's not going to be any life at all. But let's jump forward. I really wanted to focus on that, that verb for this reason. Now, let's jump forward now to John chapter 6, verse 54. So it says this. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And he goes on to say, for my flesh is true food. This is what we read before. And my blood is true drink. And whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him as the living Father sent me. And I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. This is very unique for a particular reason, because Jesus emphasizes the word feeds. He says he uses it four times, actually, in this passage. And it's, it's interesting, though, because he actually changes the verb. The, the, the verb eat, before we, we, I told you about the verb eat, which is um, estheo, but now he changes it to this verb called tragon. I rolled the R there. That sounded really cool, right? Tragon, right? And it means delightfully enjoying fruits and snacks. Wait, I said snacks. Sorry, fruits and nuts. Basically, it's, it's a term, it's actually a kind of a term of saying um, you are snacking, you are continuously eating. Whereas that previous verb, estheo, was just like a final, it was just like one event. You, you had your steak and eggs in the morning and then you didn't eat anything else for the rest of the day because you were satisfied with your steak and eggs. I, I still don't understand it. I don't understand it. But we don't have to get into that right now. Okay. So... 
Tarangon is this different verb, and Jesus is actually making a distinction for a particular reason because he's jumping forward. Again, he's the Lord of time and space. He can do that. And he's saying, whoever continuously feeds on my flesh and delightfully, joyfully, is reacquainted with their death with me and the resurrection with me. Um, I will raise them up on the last day. And not only that, but whoever does that, they abide in me. Abide can be translated remain. They stay with me. They dwell with me. Those who are well acquainted with their righteousness in Christ, those are the ones who are experiencing Zoe life. These are the ones who are experiencing Jesus as life. The important thing here, I'm moving really far, I'm moving far ahead here, but I, I want to step back for just a second because Jesus also makes this distinction. He says, I am the true food and true drink. And that translated as well is, is basically saying, listen, I'm the real deal. In your bios life, you ate food so that you could sustain your life. But he's saying, if you want to have real life, you have to eat the real stuff. You, you can't eat McDonald's all the time. I really want to. I do. I do. I confess. Thank you for letting me be vulnerable. Um, but you can't eat that all the time because it's not real food. You gotta have the real stuff. Jesus is saying, this is, what's, this, is, this is what happens. If you wanna have real life, listen, I am the real deal. Being acquainted with my death and resurrection, that is real life. Nothing else will satisfy you. You weren't created. You weren't designed to be dependent on anything else. Right? Remember? We weren't designed to be dependent on anything else. We were designed to be dependent on God for life. And so Jesus is saying, I'm redeeming the whole story. I'm bringing you back. I am the real deal. Whoever is well acquainted with the gospel. And not only well acquainted, but they delight they joyfully snack. They joyfully remember who they are in Jesus. These are the ones who abide in him. And not only that, but as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, this is Jesus talking, he also will live because of me. Whoever feeds on me continually, he will also live because of me. He will also experience Zoe life because of me. This is such a beautiful picture because, because in earlier on in the passage, earlier on in this chapter, you know, God is making, um, sorry, Jesus is making a, a grand distinction. He's saying, he's saying, listen, it's the Father who draws people to me. When they come to believe on me, then I will hold on to them and I will make them secure. Right? So I want to paint us here a picture. I want to paint us a picture of of the Father, calling out to all of creation and saying, Steve, 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 I see you in the distance. I want you to hear me and I want you to come. And Steve says, I hear you. I listen, I'm coming. God does this, God goes, Jesus, 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 look, look at Steve. I created him so well. I delightfully created him. I am so happy he listened. Jesus, Steve, is, Steve is, is my gift to you. And Jesus turns to the Father and he says, awesome. That is so cool. Uh, okay, uh, well, I'm so happy that you, that you gave me your most precious designed item, the apple of your eye. So I'm going to hold on to him and never let go. It's the loyalty of Jesus to the Father that makes us secure, um, that makes us safe. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus reaches out and he, and he takes hold of him. And I want to compare this to other gifts that we have in our lives, like children. You know, I was in the, I was in the room when my children were born, and I had the experience, experience that a lot of dads do, I'm, I'm assuming, uh, where this little life is given to you, is placed in your hands, and you realize, oh no, I am completely responsible 
for this little life. And I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I'm competent enough to protect, to care, to love, to make this child feel secure, to make this child feel accepted, to make this child have belonging. I can't, I can't possibly do this. But when you are given to Jesus by the Father, Jesus looked at you and he looked at the Father and he said, I got this. Because I was made for this. You're mine. I am the only one who can care for you. I am the only one who can make you absolutely secure. I'm the only one who can secure a life for you. I'm the only one who can, who can make you safe. I'm the only one. I got this. God, I got this. You know, that gives me so much peace of mind because every once in a while I need to know that Jesus has got it. Because my bios life existence doesn't look like it's in order. And I know I'm not competent enough to make everything work well. Even for my own children. And it's got to be Jesus. It's got to be. You know, it's tough because for us, we don't want to accept that we are dependent on him for life. We, we don't want to accept that we're dependent on him being life itself. We want to be independent. We want to find life on our own terms. We even celebrate independence. When our children, or for example, my children, if, if, they, if they demonstrate any kind of independence, like, oh, you tied your shoes by yourself. Oh, thank you. Oh, this is so beautiful. I didn't have to help you do it. Oh, this is great. Okay, continue to do independent things. Right? So, so I can be independent. And I can do whatever else I wanted to do in that moment. Maybe look at my phone. Right? Sorry, I'm the only one. Confession time, again. Anyway. We just love independence. We celebrate it. So this is hard for us to receive. But the Father looks at our dependence on Him and He says, Awesome. He's not like me. Isn't, aren't you so thankful He's not like me? That He sees your, your hands raised to Him. Help me, help me, help me, Daddy. Help me, help me. And He says, I am so thankful you asked. Okay. Whew, let's keep going. All right. Um, right on. You see, we have a hard time because we want sometimes we want to compare our human, you know, relationships, you know, to the Father and, and, and to the relationship that Jesus has with the Father, and we really can't. We just have to accept Him at His word. We have to accept what He's saying. We have to trust Him. But it's hard. It's difficult. So let's continue on. Um, John chapter six, verse fifty-eight says this: "This is the Father that came down. This is the bread that came down from heaven." Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Now, when many of his disciples heard this, they said, Boy, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, listen to me, his disciples were grumbling about this. He said, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life, and the flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. The disciples said, this is cruel and harsh. Cruel and harsh um, words. And I say cruel and harsh because that word, I mean, they say it's a hard saying. That's what it actually can be translated as. This is, this is kind of, this is deeply offensive. That we have to eat your flesh and drink your blood, you know, I believe in Deuteronomy, it says that we're not supposed to drink, they're not supposed to drink blood, so that this is terribly confusing for them. But Jesus is saying, no, listen, listen, I am, I am, 
the only way to life. I am life itself. And so we, they're having a hard time with that passage, but if, if we're serious with ourselves, we can have a really hard time with that passage too. That's what, what happened to me back in 2010. I was sitting in my apartment, you know, reading the scripture and just being incredibly moved by it. I have trouble understanding this and receiving this. There are so many ways that I want to be independent and find life on my own terms apart from you. There are so many ways I want that to happen. And if I had them, then I would be okay. But I am feeling all kinds of lack and I am afraid of the future. I am afraid of failure. How can you help me understand this? And I love Jesus' response here. And his response, we can only assume uh, the arguments made, but Jesus says, it is the spirit who gives life and the flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And that word gives life, that, verse, that verb gives life, um, it could be translated as making something alive or keeping something alive. It could be described as making something alive or keeping something alive. So you are fully alive. You are connected to the source. You are, you are a creation who is functioning fully. You are completely worthful. Uh, you're completely useful. You're co completely desired by God. There is a static, there's a constant flow of life going into you. God is making you alive and he's also keeping you alive. He keeps you. The Spirit keeps you in the fold. The Spirit speaks to you. The Spirit of Jesus uh, comforts you. The Spirit of Jesus gives you gentleness when you lack it. The Spirit of Jesus gives you understanding or compassion when, when, it, when it doesn't seem like it's possible that it could come. He's keeping you alive. And he says this, he says, the flesh is no help at all. And what is he saying? He's saying your human logic is of no help. Your human logic is of no help to you at all. The Father gives life to Jesus. Jesus, because if we believe in him, he gives us life, and the Spirit keeps us in union with him. Can we see how this is a perfect dance? This is a perfect assignment. This is a no-fail option by God to keep you totally connected to him. He is doing all these things, and the flesh is of no help at all because it's just as confusing as any of this explanation could be, we just, we just do not have the ability to understand it in our human logic. We have to trust. And dependency on God is communion with God. That's, that's, that's what that unity comes from. Sometimes we're always looking for an opportunity to make sense of the things that are going on in our lives so that we can have ownership and control over our scenarios when all we really need to do is say, you know, I'll use toddlers again, like a well-meaning toddler. Daddy, why, why are there clouds? Listen, I can explain to you clouds. I can explain to you clouds, but you're not going to get it. But a toddler doesn't mind you explaining it. They don't really care. They just want to hear you talk. They want your attention. They, they just, they trust you because they feel safe and loved, safe and loved with you. That's the kind of dependence we're talking about here. There is no human logic to understand the union that we have with God. We just have to say, yes, Daddy. Yes. You are life. I don't get it. Kind of offended by it. But if Jesus is the only thing that I have, then I am willing to believe that and have everything. Let's continue on. Let me, I, I'm going I'm to speed to close here um, and just read the last part of this chapter. This is, this is the end of the chapter, end of chapter 6. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Hear Jesus saying that to you. Do you want to go away as well? You want out? Is this too confusing? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. 
And we have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve? I love, I love this. Jesus, you just, even just stay on this verse, right? Jesus says, Jesus answered them. You know, Peter's always quick to speak up. You know, he has to be right. He has to be right. He's got to be the first one to speak up, right? And Jesus talks to the, talks to the rest of the disciples. He says, he answers them. He says, did I choose you, the twelve? Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil? End of the chapter. Like, so wild. And I want to point out something just very interesting that I really hope will bless you. You see, Peter's kind of in the wrong, kind of, because, and Jesus corrects him because he says, look, we have believed. He speaks on behalf of everybody, but, but Jesus corrects him. He says, no, listen, one of you, one of you is a devil. Otherwise translated, one of you is an accuser. One of you has already accused me. And so you are sitting here acting like you're all so faithful, but you have one of you who has been so close to me who still doesn't get it. Maybe in a sense even chose not to get it. Ever been like that? You're so close to the truth, but you didn't get it? Even I can, I, even I'm a little afraid of speaking this message and then walking out of here and then realizing, oh, I, I didn't get it. You know, sometimes we kind of slip up that way. You'd be so close to the truth, but not understand. And this is kind of what Peter and, and Judas were experiencing. Now, I say Peter and Judas together because John is doing something very unique here. This whole chapter, this whole chapter 6, it's like this. It's like a large scope. It's like a zooming in. We start off, Jesus is talking to a crowd. He's talking to people who had just had their bellies filled, you know, uh, because just, Jesus just fed the 5,000. Then, if you follow this chapter, it closes in from the mob to the Jewish leaders. And, and so the Jewish leaders are now grumbling and disputing with Jesus. But then you notice it goes in a little bit closer. And, and, and now, they're, now Jesus is talking to the disciples. Now, when I say the disciples, uh, we use Luke as a reference because in Luke, we find out that Jesus had, you know, he had sent out the 70 uh, to, to go out and... Um, and, and to complete his, complete his will, like to usher in the kingdom. So he'd gone, he'd, he'd gone ahead and done that. So that we knew that it was a large group that were following Jesus as well. But then he starts going on talking about how he's the true, you know, his, his flesh is true food, his blood is true drink. And that group of disciples diminishes. And then we get in a little bit closer. Now he's addressing the 12. And now within the 12, Peter pipes off, oh, look at me, blah, 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 blah. And then Jesus turns the focus. He says, no, 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 look at, look at Judas. And Judas is in the corner like, ha, right? You know, like, I'm just imagining that. But you see he's zooming in. He's making a focus. And John's doing something very unique because both Peter and, and Judas both managed to betray Jesus. Both Peter and Judas managed to do this. And this whole time Jesus is doing all these things, demonstrating, the whole chapter demonstrating how he is God, how he is life. He, you know, I, I fed the 5,000, but this is it. I'm describing all this to you. But look, all of you have been here with me so long, but you don't get it. And then we get down to it. Even in the end of the book of John, we find that Peter is the one who's just, he, he betrays Jesus. He doesn't stand up for him when the rooster crows. By the time the rooster crows, people are, are, are pressing on him, asking him questions about whether or not he's being Jesus, whether or not he's been with Jesus when Jesus is about to be crucified. And he denies even knowing him. Even Peter denies him. This chapter is all about who will be faithful to Jesus, who will hear from him, who will see that he is life, who will come close to him and buy in. No one. There's no one faithful in this chapter but Jesus himself. Jesus is the faithful one. And we see that because he restores Peter. Judas remained independent. He chose Peter and, and Peter was restored. He restored him. He saw his faithfulness. He, he saw how he was offended, how even Peter was offended by Jesus to the point that he denied knowing him, but yet Jesus came to him and he restored him and comforted him. 
And I just say that to say this, even when we're faithless, he is competent to be faithful to us. He will keep us alive. Those of us who have bought in to say that we are dependent on you, even if the bios life that we're experiencing is confusing and distracting and you know, alluring and we're running off in all kinds of directions to find life. We are offended by the fact that he says he is life, even though everything in our bios life doesn't work. Jesus is saying, I am the faithful one. I will restore those um, who've been called by my name, who've chosen, who the Father has given to me. So maybe you're hearing this message right now and you're looking at the situation in your own life and maybe you got to the end of this time and you're like, well, maybe I have been offended by Jesus. It's not time to run away. I was sitting there in that apartment building and, I, and tears poured down my face when I was reading it because I, I, I knew what Peter was saying. I got it. Who else am I going to go to? There's nobody else. There's only you. You're the only one who's given me everything that's, worth, that's praiseworthy in my life. And I'm not worthy of it. I didn't do anything to earn it. I am afraid that I'll lose it. I'm afraid that I'm not good enough to, to be a pastor. I'm afraid I'm not good enough to speak. I'm afraid I'm not good enough to do all these things. Even though I have all these accolades, I'm terrified. It's you, it's you, it's you that I need. Jesus said, I'm so thankful that you were honest about being offended, that you were honest about wanting to run away, that you were honest about your fears. And the truth is, is that that event that I had, you know, you know reading that chapter in, the, in my apartment, um, I relive that often. It's a recurring thing. But the Spirit keeps me alive, keeps making me alive, keeps reaching out to me. Um, and I keep becoming reacquainted with, with my righteousness in God, who I've been made to be. Um, I could set aside all the aspirations for success that appear like life. Stop being offended by the fact that Jesus himself is it. I set those aside and I can accept that he is it. Throw out the logic, trying to make sense of it all. I just accept, no, no. He is it. I don't know what the future holds. I don't know if, you know, I can't control the result of everything that I do, everything that happens to me. You are the one who's got to do it. And he says, gladly, because guess what? You're a gift to me from my dad, from the father. And your, you ending this race well, it's on me. It's on me. Um, I just want to end just quickly. There's a few points, just very quickly. Um, and uh, in some, you know, sometimes in our in our circles, it's, it's kind of like you, you're kind of afraid of giving people like kind of things to do. But I, I just figure like these are just things that are coming out of the passage anyway. So hopefully, this is just a great way of just just a reminder of, of of what Jesus is saying to us in this passage. Okay, so so if you are having a hard time accepting Jesus as life, if you are at times offended by that truth, um, it's important to understand this. You, you you don't have to struggle to understand. You don't have to struggle to understand that, to understand everything that's happening. You can accept your dependence on the Spirit. You are dependent on Him. You were created to be dependent on Him for life. So just accept that. And allow the Spirit to reveal to you what you need to know to give you what you need to endure bios life, to endure this existence, this, this, this time that we have here on earth that has an expiration date. This time that we have to experience death because of indwelling sin, how we're separated, how we were separated. And if we reacquaint ourselves with the righteousness that we have in Christ, if we snack on that truth, then that we can be encouraged to know that he's completely and utterly for us. The other part is also true. We need to 
Stop acquainting ourselves with our successes, with our failures, with our, our future fears or, our, or our, our future goals to which we might want to puff ourselves up about. We need to stop acquainting ourselves with those things and accept Jesus' life. Um, I, I'm, I am encouraged now to know that in saying all of this, that we are not alone. I know it's, it's easy to just say, okay, well, this is an individual thing. I do this on my own. And most of this has been described as individual, but we don't do it alone. Uh, we have the body of Christ to help us. We have fellow believers to encourage us to continue to look to Christ as life and, and to consider nothing else as being, as being it, but to also turn our attention to the Father's faithfulness to us. And like light bulbs that are plugged into the source, if somebody has gone into the dark, then we can come into that area with them and show them, show them the way back. So we have a great opportunity to do that, uh, to encourage each other. And so um, today, uh, if you would like prayer uh, from the elders, uh, Josh, I'm pretty sure you'll be able to set that up for um, for anyone who's watching today. Just uh, just click a like uh, to the request for prayer that'll be in the comments, and then our elders will, will gladly pray for you. Uh, you are not, not alone. And maybe today, if you're offended by Jesus, which is Jesus being life, maybe, which is a very much a good thing. Um, maybe if that's the case, then you don't have to do that alone either. You don't have to process. You don't have to struggle alone. You can, you can struggle along with others who um, who have also come to know that same comfort and understanding that Jesus has given. So thank you so much for your time, and God bless.